It's September 2nd, 1859, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The Carrington event might sound like a Cold War thriller in the style of the Ipcrest file or the Manchurian candidate, but it's actually the name of the largest solar storm in recorded history, which occurred on this day in 1859. And if the name sounds a bit vague for a scientific phenomenon, it's because people at the time had no idea what the hell they were witnessing. (laughs) Yeah, it was named after a British astronomer called Richard Carrington, who was uh, particularly interested in observing the sun and specifically the dark areas on its surface that are known as sunspots. And on September the 1st, the day before, this, uh, he'd been looking through his specially modified telescope that had protective dark filters on it, and suddenly he saw this flash of white light from a sunspot, and he said his first impression was that some ray of light had penetrated a hole in the screen attached to the apparatus that he was looking through. So he looked around and realised that actually this wasn't direct sunlight, it wasn't a problem with the gear, it was something he was actually witnessing. And then he went to get someone to come and have a look at it, and as soon as the person was in, he looked through the lens and couldn't see anything and he must have been like yeah yeah man whatever (laughs) sure it was only like the next day that like the world started having these massive after effects yeah it must have been so frustrating being an astronomer in this era i mean obviously you know being a professional astronomer was basically unheard of he was an amateur astronomer but he was cambridge educated and he wanted to make a name for himself and he had a day job running the family brewery which he'd inherited after his father had suddenly died and he resented bitterly so wanted to make a name for himself in astronomy so kind of in a way should have been really thrilled that he'd seen something exciting but then to have this named after you the Carrington Mm. event maybe sort of makes it sound like he caused it like to be clear (laughs) he didn't cause it he would just happen to be looking through the telescope at the right moment to see the flare that did cause what this was which it turns out was a giant coronal mass ejection aka CME which, until researching <laughs> yeah. this, I had never heard of. I'd never spent my life fearing a giant coronal mass ejection. But now I do know. <laughs> I'm not sure I feel better for the knowledge, realising no. what can happen. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're at all qualified in astronomy, put your fingers in your ears, because I'm definitely going to get this wrong. But just briefly, <laughs> so what Carrington had seen is what's called a solar flare. And they are often associated with a large coronal mass ejection. Um, NASA compares a solar flare to a muzzle flash and a coronal mass ejection to a cannonball. So a solar flare is an eruption of electromagnetic radiation in the sun's atmosphere, which creates that sudden flash of light that Carrington saw. And the energy from it can disrupt radio waves, uh, interrupt communication systems but a strong coronal mass ejection can disrupt the earth's magnetic fields because it's actually matter it's like a cannonball of matter that shoots out of the sun and sometimes towards earth uh, and that can create gigantic geomagnetic storms actually although the carrington event was huge the saving grace in a way was that we didn't have enough technology at the time to really feel the full force i mean we might get into this later but a carrington event today would be disastrous whereas at this time it was really just odd Yeah, and one of those odd effects was that it made auroras particularly visible and they went much further to the north and south of where they can usually be seen. So much so that they were lighting up the night sky in ways that people were able to actually read at night. And I saw this one account uh, from an Australian gold miner named C.F. Herbert who retold what he saw in a letter to the Daily News in Perth. And he said, I was digging at Rokewok and myself and two mates looking out of a tent saw 
a great reflection in the southern heavens at about 7 o'clock p.m. And in about half an hour, a scene of almost unspeakable beauty presented itself. <laughs> Lights of every imaginable colour were issuing out of the southern heavens, one colour fading away only to give place to another, if possible, more beautiful than the last, which I thought was a really, really quite beautiful way of uh, capturing the moment. <laughs> well, he obviously felt it was a spiritual happening, you know, to see something so beautiful. We're in 1859. A lot of people around the world would have been triggered to think the world was ending because that yeah. is how people thought then. And examples of this that we do have is entire communities in Kingston, Jamaica, because they had no other way of understanding what it was they could see. As far as they were concerned, Cuba had just burst into flames that <laughs> they could <Yeah>. see. Um, <laughs> did think this was a warning from God. Yeah, I mean, if you want to go and see the Northern Lights or the Southern Lights now, you're going to Iceland or Tasmania. You're really going somewhere closer re- relatively to the poles. Whereas these lights could be seen as close to the equator as Florida and Colombia. Mm. So entire populations who wouldn't have even known what an aurora was would certainly have never seen one in that area. In fact, we have at least one example of someone who did seem to have lost their mind at the sight of it. There was an account in Harper's Weekly of a 16-year-old girl in Ohio who was otherwise, quote, of considerable intelligence, who had to be taken into custody and sent to an insane asylum because she became convinced the world was ending. I mean, back then when they said someone had to be taken to an insane asylum, I feel <laughs> yeah, like the bar was yeah. much They mean no, a woman made a fuss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this woman <Yeah>. is hysterical. <laughs> Lock her away. <laughs> but birds began to chirp and people started to go to work you know, what they thought was six in the morning, but was actually the middle of the night. Yeah. And the other really profound effect was the way that it knocked out telegraph lines. And, you know, telegraph really was the internet of its time. And you had these really astonishing reports. So E.W. Culgan, who was a telegraph manager in Pittsburgh, said that the currents flowing through the wires were so powerful that the platinum contacts were in danger of melting and apparently streams of fire were pouring out of the circuits. So it wasn't just like a minor equipment failure. Things were actually catching fire right and as rebecca said we're so much more reliant on electricity now and these events do seem to happen every few hundred years so it's sort of once you start looking into this it reminded me a little bit i don't want to catastrophize but it reminded me a little bit of the pandemic the covid pandemic when people said well you know go on youtube there'd be people have been warning about this for years you know bill gates was talking about this years ago but everyone ignores it at the time because it's hard to visualize mm. like because one of these hasn't hit earth in our lifetime it's hard for us to think of it as a problem but once you start reading accounts from only 150 years ago of what it was like you can only conclude that what seems like a fatal flaw is built into the technology that has underpinned the growth of the developed world in the past century yeah. which is that we are dependent on technology that that is highly vulnerable to solar flares. Um, so basically the best case scenario, if we knew one of these was coming and we only get an hour's warning, as I understand it, with the current methodology, would be everyone would have to unplug everything. Right. <laughs> I'll say it again. Everyone in the world would have to unplug everything. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, but even still, you could have large cities without power for a week, a month, even a year. And you think back to the, our episode on the blackout in New York that was really only mm. a day or so. You know, what would the impact of 
a week without power be in a major city? Yeah, I mean, there was a study that was carried out by Lloyds of London and the American Atmospheric and Environmental Research Agency, which estimated that a Carrington-class event today would result in as much as $2.6 trillion of damage to the USA alone. So we would be looking at a really significant impact around the world. And although the event caused severe damage to some telegraph lines, on at least one occasion, two telegraph stations in New England, which had switched off the electric dynamo that powered the system, were able to keep exchanging messages for two hours using only the power of the geomagnetic current that was flooding through the lines. They were exchanging these incredulous messages. They didn't realise that the system could work with the battery switched off. I mean, that would freak you out if you had no power coming into your system <laughs> and it was you were still able to communicate. Like, if your battery went dead on your phone and you were still able to call a mate, that would yeah. still freak you out today. <laughs> and also, for Carrington, those kinds of details must have been so unfathomable as to have seemed implausible. Because this is the steam age, right? I mean, he saw a thing, no one else saw it. And then, you know, there was no way of proving that it had happened. He had to sketch it out. Yeah. (laughs) And even in the months after the incident, newspapers and various other scientific journals looked for what the cause could be. Scientific American postulated that what was causing it was falling debris from active volcanoes. And the San Francisco Herald theorised about, quote, nebulous matter from, quote, planetary spaces. And Harper's Weekly settled on that what was being seen was reflections from distant icebergs. So there were just all of these quite wacky theories. Yeah, well, people didn't even know about sunspots. People had been laughed out of scientific uh, conferences for even mentioning sunspots. A lot of people thought oh, no, that's a mountaintop on the sun's surface because that's as much as they knew. Golly, yeah. And this really was, it was at this moment that the connection started to be made between the sun and the auroras. You know, because people just didn't know what they were looking at when they saw the auroras on uh, both north and south. And so this was the time where those dots started to be linked. The New York Times reported that there were crowds of people in the street to behold this unusual spectacle and the description of it too. It does sound really beautiful. There's a a Mm. newspaper account that talks about alternating great pillars, rolling cumuli, shooting streamers, curdled and whispered and fleecy waves, rapidly changing its hue from red to orange, orange to yellow, yellow to white and back in the same order to brilliant red. Oh, great. Well, you know, if it happens again and it knocks out satellites and causes continent-wide blackouts, we all have some pretty colours to look at, can't we? (laughs) The the apocalypse is going to be so beautiful, you guys. (laughs) Next time. But a later version came with a kind of cigarette warning that said, the beard is a superfluous burden. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.